Welcome to our podcast. We're a mother-daughter duo with a twist. I'm Taya, and I was adopted. And I'm Roz, her birth mom. I went on a search at the age of 36, and I found her. Listen in as we come together to unpack the layers of our journey. Welcome back to I Found Her, where we discuss all things adoption and reunion, but with a twist. I'm Taya, and with me is... Roz, her birth mom. So today, we'll be talking about how we met, but with some side notes I have based on our last episode. Okay, so before we talk about how we met, I wanted to ask you, Roz, how are you feeling as we start our third episode? Taya, I'm excited, but I feel a little nervous and emotional. So hopefully I make it through this third episode, okay? Okay, okay. Yes, I think I think it's normal um, to feel nervous. We're getting in a little deeper into our topic about the two of us. And so I anticipate that both of us will have those different emotions as we do this today. So I've been thinking a lot about our last episode, so much so that I thought I would bring up some of that today and maybe unpack it a little before we move into our main topic of how we met. Are you okay with that? Absolutely. Okay, then. So the first thing I wanted to connect on was when you described your why for connecting, it was that it was an eternal dream for you. I found myself thinking about how when I was growing up and dealing with all the ins and outs of being a child, I would often fantasize about how different my life would be if you had parented me. That what if came to mind often for me growing up. In fact, in the book, The Primal Womb, it shares how adoptees will have birth mother fantasies. The author shared how for most adoptees, there was a feeling of needing to be rescued, even if their situation wasn't so bad. What about you, Roz? What do you think about that when I share that? Well, the Primal Wound book you shared with me, um, we shared a lot of things after we connected. And I felt that the birth mother fantasies was real. It tied me in as though that umbilical cord was still there because when I gave you for adoption, after I gave birth to you, it helped me understand that there are connections still there. You knew my voice. You knew my heartbeat. And then when you're placed for adoption, you're looking for that and it's missing. So there is a fantasizing of, well, where am I? Who are these strangers? Where's my mom? And that makes me sad. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's so interesting. You you go into that part about, you know, what what I experience inside the womb, right? And how there's so much research now that supports that that connection to the first mom, if you will, um, and and that there's this longing um, that that a child that an infant has for that first mother. Um, because of the fact that I was in your womb for nine months, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was, there's a comfort level, there's a familiarity there. And so it makes so much sense. And so, yeah, I, I, I just thought when you had said, you know, in our last episode about the eternal dream piece, it just resonated with me connecting as well that I dreamed as well of you and what life might have been like had that been, you know, had had I been raised or parented by you. And so so the second thing that I also think about, and I think this connects to the first in some ways, is when you said that I might have had concerns about being rejected. And that actually was a huge fear of mine. This idea of secondary rejection was very real and complicated for me. Now, although I would fantasize about what it might have been like with you, I was also afraid that you wouldn't want to see me, that you would close the door on me or hang up the phone without talking to me. Basically, that I would be seen as an intruder in your life. And that same book talks about that being a very real thing for adoptees this fear of being rejected once again. So Roz, how do you feel, you know, when I share that, what comes to mind for you when I express that that was actually a real concern for me? It matches what I was told by the social workers that do not intrude and look for your baby. Do not disrupt the family lifestyle that the adoptive parents want to do to raise your baby. You cannot reach out for her. I signed papers with a closed adoption that I promised not to look for you, that I was actually forbidden to look for you because of being the intruder. So for you to say that you felt like you would be intruding on me, oh no, no, my baby. I was told I would be your intruder. And that's the difficult part of this closed adoption process that we could expand on later. But it was definitely told to me, do not intrude on the new family raising your daughter. Oh my goodness. You know, it's weird if you think about how in the language of this book, The Primal Wound, um, it brings in that thought process of how an adoptee, if to find their birth parent, their birth mother, that they can perceive themselves as an intruder. And yet you were very clearly told by your social worker that you would be seen as the intruder, right? Because again, with closed adoption, you're relinquishing all parental rights, right? So much so yes. that you are not 
at all invited to to even know basic information about me um, to even be informed that at some point should I decide to have a relationship with you that that could be a choice so it's like the doors are completely closed on both ends but yet each of us dealt with the thought process of being the intruder in the other person's yes. life. That yes. is so, like, I haven't fully thought all that through, but that is so profound that each of us identified ourselves as potentially being an intruder in the other person's life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, the other thing that I think is impactful and and it was when you shared the importance of giving me a name that part <laughs> you know you you gave me this name and it was your way of tracking me and staying connected to me in your heart in your mind i believe but then you even said that you know cuz you didn't know if if my name would be changed and 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 there's this part in me where I'm being reminded when I found out at the age of 36 that I even had a different name than the name mm -hmm. I knew that created off, if you will, a split in my brain because I'm like, oh, my God, I was known as something else all this time. But this is the name I know, which is Taya. And so I am very much interested in you kind of telling me more about the meaning of the name. Dina, D-E-A-N-A, correct? Correct. Dina yeah. Marie. Dina And it's Marie. actually a, it's a funny story. It's actually silly because it's like, I was engrossed in watching movies when mm. I was a teenager. And this was before you were born, but teenagers my age, teenage girls, we used to go to the movies a lot. And there were these beach movies with Annette Finicello and Frankie oh, yes. Avalon. Beach blanket, bingo, and you know, all that funny stuff. Well, Annette Finicello's name was Dina. <gasps> and I said, I like that name, and she's so cute. And when I go to the beach, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna be Dina. And my sister and my cousins, they identified with characters. There was the girl that had the fringe on her dress and she would dance. And, oh, it was so much fun back in those days, silliness. But that's how I came up with Dina, because when I gave birth to you and I had to fill out a birth certificate, that's the first name that came to my mind. And my middle name is Marie. So I said, Dina Marie. And I knew I would follow that name for the rest of my life until we connected because that was my tracking mechanism. It was a familiar name. It was a fun name. Yeah. So you were kind of like my Annette Finicello fun <laughs> friend. Yes. So it, that's oh, what I, I did. It. That's that's how Dina it. came to be. Dina Marie. That is too Isn't cute. that silly? That is too cute. But again, it, if we go back to the mindset, like you said, of being a teenager, 
and being engrossed in certain shows, right? And that, in a sense, being what you identify with, you know? And so, yeah, Dina, you know, when I when I first learned that that was my name, I, I actually pronounced it because I didn't have, I, you know, an orientation of how the name was pronounced. I thought it was Deanna. But then when I looked at the spelling and the breakdown of it, because you don't have the extra in, then it makes sense that it would be like Dean, uh, as opposed to Deanna, if it was two ends, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, so there was a part Smart of me girl. that <laughs> there was a part of me that was like, I don't know, like because I've lived Taya for so long, like I don't know how I would have responded or what, how different would that have put an impression on me growing up being called Dina when, you know, again, it was 36 when I learned that I had a different name, but yeah, it was just, um, just an interesting thing to, to hear you share that that was your way of tracking and staying connected to me over the years. Um, so yeah. Okay. Then. So, so as it. we're, yeah. So I, I, I find that, you know, those were, those were the, the things that stood out to me in our second episode. And I know that we had talked about, you know, moving into and building, if you will, our time um, toward, you know, how we actually met and explaining who the words I found her came from. So, you know, I was, I had said in our past episode that there are some interesting characters that played into our reunion. And so what I'll start with is that the first was a movie that I watched and it produced <laughs> the ugly cry, if you will. And it got me to really thinking about, do I need to search for you? That movie was Antoine Fisher. It came out in mm -hmm. 2002 and it starred Derek Luke and Denzel Washington. So just in case some of our audience hasn't seen this movie, um, I'll give the basic premise. So it tells the story of a Navy sailor who goes on a search to find his birth mother at the prompting of his psychiatrist, which is played by Denzel's character. And so I remember so many emotions going through me when I watched that movie. And so in one of the main scenes, he then meets his mother, who is played by Viola Davis. Uh, so she was not as well known as she is now. And so he's he's meeting her and she can't even look at him. And so therefore he's rejected. That secondary rejection, if you will. Um, but the beautiful thing also in that movie is that his birth dad's family was so open and accepting of him. And so after that, small meeting with his mom where she couldn't even look at him. He comes back to his aunt's house where this is on his birth father's side and he's greeted with the biggest feast of food and everyone, uncles and aunts, great grandparents are there to warmly accept him. And so those two intense emotions happening together, rejection and acceptance was so compelling for me that at the end, I just burst into tears. 
So did you see that movie, Roz? You know, I had seen that movie and it came out before you found me. And later on, as we got into deeper communications about your life before finding me and the enjoyment we were having with our reunion, I think you had vaguely mentioned that movie and it's like, yeah, I think I saw that. So I did watch it again. I needed to watch it again because of how it impacted you. And boy, you're right about the ugly cry. Mm. When I watched that, I couldn't stop. I want everyone in our audience to watch it for the first time, the second or third, whatever it is, because every scene in that movie resonated with me. Mm. It's like I saw a bit of you in Derek Luke's character, Antoine, when he was searching mm -hmm. and when he found his mother and his extended family. It's like I saw a bit of you in Denzel's character as a therapist mm. because he listened, he asked questions. And I said, that's what Taya does in her career. Yeah. I remember one time you mentioned that now you understand what I went through as a teenage mom and what my parents went through making that decision. Because those are now or were then your clients. So you saw a lot. You heard a lot. You heard the good and the bad, the connections and the disappointments of not being connected due to rejection. And maybe when they finally searched for a birth parent, they had passed on. So there's a lot. Your job as a therapist was reflected in that movie a lot, but more so through the beautiful, beautiful acting by Derek Luke searching for his birth family and how it affected him. The things he wanted to do, didn't do, got lost in, was homeless at, at different parts of his life. Oh my God, Taya, I'm gonna watch that movie again after <laughs> this episode because it's beautiful, it's compelling and it's real. And I saw you in both of those main characters. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, listening to that last part of what you just said, I I hear that part of, you know, his character took a risk. And, you know, he he ended up making the decision to look. But in that whole process, Right. I think he was he was also weighing the risk of doing this. Right. And right. then I think you get to a point where you're like, OK, I'm in it now. I've got to finish. And, mm -hmm. and and there's hope. And then fortunately, there was rejection. But then there was acceptance, you know, so it's just yeah. it's just so much that plays out in that movie. So no wonder we both had the ugly cry. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my 
my gosh. So, you know, when I when I thought about, you know, that movie again and the timeline of it, I the next interesting character, if you will, that plays out in how we met, it it didn't show up until 2006. And I'll have to think a little bit more about what was happening for me between 2002 and 2006 that, if you will, I sat on it for a while. Um, but I think it's because, again, the fact that we touched on the closed adoption and how there was no permission given that said that I could, in fact, find you and vice versa, I think that played a large part into well, then how do I even do this? Like, how is it even possible to override a closed adoption and find a birth parent, right? And so then this documentary comes out and much of our audience will probably um, connect on this person, but Run DMC, right? So so we're, we're talking about Run DMC, but more specifically, we're talking about one third of the group since it was three members, DMC himself, Daryl McDaniels, does this documentary about his search and reunion when he made the startling discovery at the age of 35 that he was adopted. So I had said I was nine and that caused its own dynamic shift. He was 35 when he finds out for the first time that he's adopted. In his documentary, he details his search for answers about himself and his birth family. And in that documentary, he used a reunion specialist, also known as an investigative genealogist. And her name is Pam Slayton. And she's actually still has a full website, everything. She's still active um, in what she does as her work. But she was also adopted. And she found with very little information, her birth parents. And she actually then made that her career, if you will, her journey. And she then helped DMC find his birth mother. And that's when it hit me. Well, maybe, maybe she can help me find you. That documentary gave me hope and maybe a real way to find you since my adoption was closed. Yeah. So I'll pause there, but yeah, that's like the next step, if you will. Well, Pam was there? a hero. Yeah, Pam was a hero for you because the movie energized you, riled up some emotions. But the DMC documentary and finding out there's a lady who does this for real, that was the nudge. And I'm so glad that whenever, after that documentary was viewed and then you reached out to Pam, that that nudge came to fruition. So I want you to tell our audience what she did and what she said to you. And then I'll add my back end story on that. Okay. So yeah, so let me think here. So so I do need to say that, you know, when I when I first saw that documentary, 
um, and I saw her contact information and I reached out to her, I got a pretty quick response through email and, and something she said that I thought was interesting because she's based in New York and my adoption where I primarily was raised was in California. She said that she did think that it was possible that she could locate my birth mother because the laws are similar in New York and California and kind of then ended it with, let me know what you want to do. When I saw that there was this possibility, I froze. I was like, oh my God, this, this could really, really happen. And, 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 and am I ready? Am I ready now um, to do this? And I froze and I, and I sat on that email um, for six months. Uh, I, I ended up actually, um, I'm in, I'm in my, my classes for my counseling degree and I'm taking a group counseling class. And in that group counseling class, the instructor has each of the students kind of be the, the identified patient, if you will, where he asks certain questions and he wants us to role play. And, and I end up getting tagged as the person to be the patient. And I'm sitting with this information about my adoption, possibly, you know, looking and finding, finding you. And so I decide to not do like a fake role play. I do a real role play. And I talk about my experience of adoption and this crux that I'm in of do I go further with it? And there was so much that came out of that group dynamic that it resonated in a different way for me to move from freezing, if you will, to, okay, I need to take action. And so as my birthday's approaching in October, I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to need to do this now. And so I reached back out to Pam and I send the email again saying, I'm ready. Let's let's move forward with what needs to be you know, provided to you um, so that we can do the search. And so she takes the necessary basic information from me. And one of the things that was key is that she she it turns out that my birth certificate, because of how it's recorded, has a recording number, if you will, at the top. And that number is something that she was able to use to locate the original birth certificate. So literally, I hit send. And two days later, she says, I think I found her. Oh my God. You know, because my brain is trying to play this out and, and be accurate, I need to verify if she called me because I feel like I was working. Yes. And I was on a campus and I was wrapping up for the day. And I remember getting a phone call. Yes, I got a phone call from her. And she says, I think I found her. 
So I'm at work and this is what she tells me. And I remember now that I'm sitting in this more, my hands start to shake, my body starts to shake. I remember I had to pull over. I was walking through the hallways and I found a seat and I sat down and I engaged with her for a bit. And she she basically suggested in that conversation that I call you. And I was like, there's no way that I can call you. And I haven't been, you know, like, how do you, how do you interrupt someone's life with a phone call? And so that's when she said, well, then let's do a letter. Let's do a certified letter. And so I sit with that a little bit and say, yes, I can definitely work on the letter. So that, you know, is the original, <laughs> Pam Slayton is the <laughs> original person who said, I found her, I found you know, her. and then, and then we kind of rolled with that. And, and that's part of what's, what's our dynamic today, but you know, it's so crazy wow. replaying that in real time back in my head right now, as we're talking this through. <laughs> well, you sent me a picture of you as a teacher and you were surrounded by beautiful children. And you said, this is how I looked when Pam told me, I found her. So mm. that picture is still in my mind. Mm. But did you know, and I'm probably sure that I told you the back end of that. My After we connected and reunited and you met your grandparents and aunts and uncles and siblings and everything, my dad said, Roz, you know, I received a strange call a few weeks ago before you said Taya found you. Mm -hmm. And this lady called and said, you know, I'm putting together a high school class reunion and Rosalind's name is on the list of graduates from such and such high school. But I need to make sure I'm talking to the right Rosalind because I think there might've been more than one Rosalind. Does she have a sister? Mm -hmm. And she said my sister's name. And my dad said, yeah, oh, okay, well, good. I'm going to make sure I send an invitation to the class reunion to Rosalind and her sister. Thank you. <gasps> and my dad said, that must have been Pam. Right. Trying to make sure she had the right Roz. Exactly. exactly. Isn't that weird? That because confirmation it's like, dad, you never, it. you never told me you got a call from someone about a class reunion. He said, well, it didn't make sense at the time. Like, what is mm -hmm. she calling me? Why don't you call her? How did you get my number? But he said it was just one of those short, sweet confirmation type yeah. calls that she probably does with her clients. Wow. So that, I do that remember my nudge. That. But that's mm -hmm. an interesting piece, right? Because that, again, I think goes back into layering. Um, you know, part of her her work, if you will, to to confirm and to make sure that she's tracking, you know, properly, because because, you know, by the time then she gives me the information, she wants to be solid that, yes, I have the right person. And then in that, you know, she follows up and sends me the email that shows kind of the basic information about you, including your phone number and your address and and. And that was the information that I was able to use to then 
you know, write the letter to you. Um, and so, and so, so, you know, we'll, we'll definitely, we'll definitely be unpacking this a little bit more. Um, so, so I think this is, this is probably a good place for us to close unless you have some thoughts on, on maybe something more, but I, I, I'm, my brain is like all over the place as I'm thinking about this, but I, I don't want to cut us too soon. If, if something else is going on in your mind that would be helpful to talk through. Well, my emotions are beginning to rise as well. And I think this is a good point to close this episode and start the next episode with that letter. Yeah. Perhaps revisiting the call with Pam, the importance of the movie Antoine Fisher in the DMC documentary and bringing all of those pieces together so that it solidifies the how and how we begin discussing the how. Because we could talk for another day or two and never exactly. end this episode, <laughs> yeah. but it's it will be a good start for our next episode, darling. Yeah, I agree. I think I think right. Our listeners need to soak up this information as well um, that we've shared. And so we hope that you all that are listening are finding this podcast meaningful while also getting you to reflect and check in with yourselves. We are so grateful to you for listening to I Founder. And if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And be sure to come back on February 15th for a discussion of how we met to another level. Like Ross said, we're gonna continue to unpack some of the things that we discussed today. So until then, this is Taya and Ross, where we talk all things adoption and reunion, but with a twist. Thank you.